0: Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks. President, do we have to listen to any more of this? Point of parliamentary procedure. Don't screw around. They're serious this time. Take take it easy. I'm in pre-law, man. Thought you pre-med. What's the difference? Conversations About Collaboration, episode 14, that's Catorce and espanol, baby. Insanely smart cookie Kate Lister joins me for a scintillating conversation. The two of us talk about her workplace research, it's awesome, the transition to remote work, the future of work, and other fascinating topics. Let's rock and roll. Kate, where does this podcast find you?
1: San Diego, California.
0: No, show off you.
1: (laughs) I hate to brag, especially in the winter.
0: I'm really excited to talk to you because you've done a tremendous amount of research, and I have my opinions about working from home and collaboration and tools and whether or not they work, but opinions to me are always better if if they're supported by facts. So talk a little bit about the research that you've been doing because it is downright fascinating.
1: Well, the start of the pandemic, and I mean... Really, just a month into it, uh, we worked with a company called Iometrics, a uh, uh, company that we've worked with for years, sort of in the same business, and did a survey of over 2,000 people asking, how's it going? How, you know, what's working? What isn't working? And If you think about it, that was pretty early on. You know, It was fielded in April. People were still trying to figure out how to start a Zoom meeting, how to get their files, you know, how to uh, organize their day. Uh, so we, we learned a great deal from that. And interestingly, most of that research has held up as others have, have done similar research since. So there's interesting information there. And then the most recent one we did was with Owl Labs. And what we tried to do was ask, it, it's called the state of remote work. We tried to ask the questions that other people hadn't. Uh, you know, there's just so many surveys out there right now. So we asked things like, would you continue to use Zoom even if you were having a meeting in the same building, across town, across the country, across the world? Interestingly, they, the, it came out that they would continue to have a Zoom meeting in everything but across the world. Huh. So I mean, you know, the implications of that and the implications for travel and the whole concept of Zoom fatigue, yes, it's real, but if you you look at the downside versus the upside of that travel time and the efficiency of it, I think what we've learned is good enough is good enough. And I think that we're still learning then how to manage that fatigue. How does every meeting have to be video? Should it be video? What are the rules of it? And all of that. I think those things still are are yet to come.
0: Mm -hmm. And we're getting used to it or we're getting better at it because not necessarily the same.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think a little bit of both. I, I think it was pretty frightening at first to to think about having your colleagues in your living room <laughs> uh, about not dr- being dressed up, about what was allowed and what wasn't allowed in terms of children and dogs and, and all of that. So I think that's the, the getting used to part. I think there's also an element of the, the improvement in the technology. Uh, you know, very quickly, the we got the Zoom backgrounds because, you know, not everybody has a pretty bookcase behind them. Uh, and, you know, some of those things that were in development before, as in so many other things, got accelerated as we uh, we went into the pandemic. So I think it's, it's actually a mix of all three, getting better at it, uh, and technology improvement, and getting used to it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Zoom did some remarkable things really quickly because people don't remember that Zoom was a kind of a niche enterprise technology and all of a sudden went from 10 million users in I think it was December of 2019 to 200 million in March and 300 million primarily consumer users in April. And without getting all techie about it, it's silly to conflate the two, right? The way you would use enterprise tech isn't the same that you use consumer tech,
1: Mm, Yeah. So for
0: them to change their product roadmap while also making it more secure um, at right. the same time. It, I, I think it was an amazing feat to pull off everything that they did.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I was a fan of join me before that. And that was yep. kind of a fringe um, product at the time, but you know, it quickly surpassed some of the big names and a lot of people were using it. And then I haven't done one of those. I, oh no, I think uh, GoToMeeting go to bought them. Didn't they?
0: Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'd have to look. I haven't that heard,
1: heard from them in a while. They were part of log me in and I think they were bought by a uh, uh, go to meeting.
0: Well, I have a thesis, but I'm not going to spoil it. Why do you think that zoom exploded when to your point, there were similar tools, particularly Skype? Um, I have my theory, but I want to hear yours.
1: Ooh. Oh, well, don't get me started on Skype.
0: <laughs> oh, Okay. <laughs>
1: I'm sorry, I hate that program. I, I just it 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 never works for me. The companies that insist I use it apologize <laughs> because they know that it's going to be a problem. I think it I I'm a Mac user. I think there is some some conflict there, but that drives me crazy. Um I think they pulled everything together that we needed, the, the problems that we had were lack of reliability. Uh, and the the drop-off, which, of course, we also get with Zoom. But very quickly out of the gate, they were the one that you went to that was easy for people to use. It was fairly intuitive, at least compared to some of the older tools. Um, and I don't know, I guess just more user-friendly. I'd love to hear your opinion.
0: I think that's part of it. Zoom was newer, so it was more reliable, whereas some people in the past have had problems with Skype and think Microsoft owned Skype and didn't, um, was it eBay had bought Skype for a bit and then spun right. it off, so they had a number of different owners and they didn't have the focus of, of Zoom. Um, I'd also argue that with Zoom, one of the smart decisions they wound up making was saying, here's a Zoom link, you don't have to register right for an account. That adds friction right. to your point. Yeah. Versus if I'm on Skype and you're not, then you get into this the language pissing match. They'll have to use my tool, they'll no, have to use you, your, your tool. And we have WebEx, we don't use WebEx. And with Zoom, it was just um, asynchronous in the sense that you could be a Zoom host, right? But if I'm just showing up at the meeting, think of it in terms of actual real estate, right? I'm just visiting your office. I don't have a key yeah. to the door.
1: Right, right. So, I mean, I forget yeah. that that nine months ago was not the not the case.
0: Right, right. So it looks like we're closer to the end of this, crossing my fingers, than the beginning, how do you see the future of work playing out? I think it's hybrid, but I don't think that's necessarily a unique opinion. I'd love to get your, takes, your take on it.
1: Yeah, people always love to make this conversation polar, like you're all remote or you're all uh, in the office. And so they, they like to say, well, remote work doesn't work because we, you know, we never get to see each other and we don't get to collaborate. It's just wrong. I mean, every, even before the pandemic, all of the, Clients that we've worked with, the research that we've done, have pointed to the fact that the majority of people, and I'm I'm 80 to 90%, want that hybrid model. And the sweet spot in the survey we did uh, with Iometrics back in April. Showed two and a half days. And since then, lots of other surveys have shown two and a half days. And before the pandemic, it showed two and a half days. <laughs> so that half time, half in the office, half not in the office, I think is the model that's going to survive for most. Very interesting. We've seen the people that worked remotely before part of the time now want to work from home more.
0: Mm.
1: Uh, 60% of the people that were forced to work from home at the start of the pandemic had never done it before. Mm. So, you know, this was something totally new to them. Probably most of them were not allowed to do it. I I call it the 7% privilege. 70% of companies say they offer remote work, but only 7% offer it to all or most of their employees. Mm. And so, you know, it's always been the executives, the more senior, the more trusted, the higher income, Uh, individuals that have been allowed to do this and then suddenly we're all allowed to do this so the amount the 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 number of people that want to do it want to work from home some of the time regularly has stayed the same it's about 80 percent but the people who but the frequency of their wanting to do it has increased and it's opened the the uh the genies out of the bottle for all those people that wanted to before, but were never allowed. So I think it's really going to be hard to put that genie back in the bottle, particularly with this groundswell of, of companies saying, hey, we're going to continue remote, we're going to expand remote, we're going to you know, substantially change our remote policies. And it's going to be about hiring talent, hiring the best and the brightest, which is really what has driven remote work for probably the last five or six years. Uh, during the recession, it was about uh, you know, saving money and by reducing real estate and that has persisted as as one of the the top drivers and may become again if we we move into a, another recession or economic downturn. But while that's the reason companies get in it, often they stay in it because of what they see, the increased productivity, the increased engagement, the increased flexibility, the reduction in costs, all of those things. and by the way, continuity of operations, disaster preparedness,
0: also, in terms of employee branding, you're family friendly. In fact, you could argue since we're thrust into this natural experiment that companies that don't offer at least some remote work in the path in the future could see themselves at a competitive disadvantage, not being able to attract the top talent.
1: Absolutely, and and, and not being able to attract talent from outside of their city. Uh, the, you know, having everybody have to work in uh, Sunnyvale is, is not. Uh, necessarily the best thing uh, you need that diversity of uh, culture place you know all of those things that come when you bring people in from outside of your own little area mm-hmm. yeah i heard absolutely a- right about the uh you know it's it's going to be a competitive disadvantage uh, and has been in the past but i don't think nearly as much as it will be in the future
0: mm-hmm. yeah i've heard the same stats about people wanting to be roughly 50% remote. I'm sure you've heard the new term 322. 3 days every week in the office, 2 days a week at home, and 2 days basically not working, ostensibly the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can see that happening, which brings us to the tools. I know that you don't think the tools are as good as they need to be because if we're going to offer remote work, then great, how do we have how does that happen? And I know there are some companies ahead of the curve um, some that are maybe in the middle, and others that are trailing. Um, how could you see the tools improving to make remote work more plausible for some of the skeptics?
1: There's there you know, we have tools like Teams and Slack and Dropbox and the G Suite, which all of which I have to be familiar with because I've got to use the tools that my clients are using. But none of them really get me to that place where I don't have to keep opening other applications, and I don't have to jump over to email, and I have to don't have to jump over to chat. And, and some of that is process and procedure. Uh, you know, if you talk to uh, GitHub, they have this is when you use a chat. This is when you use Slack. These this is when you use those channels. But I just I feel like we shouldn't have to make those choices. That there should be one you know, all-encompassing tool that just us allows us to very easily work together, almost as though we're in the office. Although, with one huge caveat, it drives me crazy when people say we need to replicate the water cooler. Who said the water cooler was the best way to collaborate to begin with? You know, we... we, we we don't want to replicate processes that that were broken to begin with my husband has a line that i like we we work harder and harder to get better and better at things we shouldn't be doing at all <laughs> <laughs> we, we need we need to use technology as a way to improve the way we work uh, and the way we live and not just replicate what we were doing in the past
0: I, i'm so glad you say that because in my new book there is a chapter on business processes And to me, I agree with you, it is insane to attempt to replicate something that was maybe just okay in a pre-pandemic or pre-hub world now that we have these tools. And I don't know if there's ever going to be that omni-tool. Although if you take a look at, they used to call it G Suite. I think two months ago, they rebranded it to Google Workspace. Or whether it's Microsoft Teams or with Salesforce buying Slack, this suite of things all kind of connected together. Because I I don't think you're going to be able to use Slack for any RP or CM application. That's not to say, though, that things that happen in those systems don't notify you in the hub, right? So your central base, if you like, is Slack or Zoom or Teams or, or whatever, but they easily connect to these other things. That way, to your point, you're minimizing the back and forth and saying, oh, where was I here? And let me just check email and I get distracted. And 20 minutes later, what the hell was I doing? That doesn't help anyone.
1: Yeah, I envision some hub that's platform agnostic uh, and and uh, software agnostic. It's just as you say, a plug and play because we wouldn't want, you know, one company to own all of that, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> uh there there's a benefit to having all these other entrepreneurs out there that are adding things that that can easily uh, be uh, plugged into the, whatever tool this this becomes. Mm-hmm.
0: In any of your research or maybe the the OWL lab survey, um, did you talk a little bit about the integration among different applications? Because the thesis of my new book is that people think, oh, it's it's too difficult to connect these things. I'm not a techie. Uh, When in reality, if you can operate a mouse, (laughs) (laughs) I can have my, uh, just as an example, if I send you a Google Doc and you comment on it, yes, I can have those comments show up in my inbox, but I don't want that because my inbox could be a message from anyone with my email address about basically anything. But in Slack, in our workspace, in a particular um, channel, I get a notification, Kate has responded to your question. Then Mm -hmm. I have that context. And even though that's just one small example, over the course of an hour or a day or a week or a year, they add up. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, you're singing my song there. I'm, I'm a former banker. And I tend to come at all of this from a financial point of view, which is the way the C-suite tr- talks. And when you talk about minutes a day of lost time, if if, if if you lose 10 minutes of productivity a day, it would entirely offset your um, annual occupancy cost. So mm-hmm. you know, the companies that have built these places that are so distracting that people can't work there because that saves them money are you know penny wise and pound foolish because the the money's going out the door the productivity is going out the door at a factor of 10 times the cost of their office space you know people cost 10 times more than the uh, spaces that they occupy and not allowing them to work from home uh, not dealing with employee stress and employee health and employee well-being And the bad boss and diversity and all those little things that chip away from allowing us to do our best work. I wait for the time where I'm working on a, let's say, PowerPoint presentation and something comes up and says, you know, Kate, you're not very good at this. and and actually it's it's below your pay grade so we we've got these 25 vetted contractors who can already do this work for you and by the way did you also know that phil just did a report on this and wrote a book on this and so we have him under contract and and we can bring him onto this, and maybe you know you don't have to be doing this PowerPoint presentation at all. So it's it's oh. this sort of this this all knowing. We 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 hire these outside contractors without realizing that we've got talent untapped talent, unengaged employees, disengaged employees who aren't being allowed to do their best work.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I see you and raise you. I, I, I mean, I I. I This is coming. I I could just say that much because if you think about it, if people use these tools the way they should, right, and and throw away internal email because that's just disposable, right? Your inbox dies when you leave the company, right? If all the internal communication takes place within the hub and the spokes that I'll call, whether it's a project management tool or an ERM or CRP or whatever, all are connected, then what happens? Machine learning, artificial intelligence. And you say, well, it's taking you two hours to put together these slides. That might be fine, but did you know that someone's actually very good at this, or there's an existing template for the presentation you're about to give, without violating your privacy? But that that to me is the the, the time saving and then the benefit, and you can be more efficient and effective at the same time, and you you and rid one yourself. Of the biggest, up, I'm sorry. One of the
1: biggest uh, uh, predictors of engagement is being able uh, to do your best work. So you know all of that nonsense, all of that forgive me crap that you have to do during the day keeps you from doing your best work, uh, and we we need to get get rid of that. And it's you know it's about disaggregating work itself into the chunks and moving out those chunks to the people that are are best to do them, whether they're internal or external. And it's already being done. There are companies that are are working on this.
0: It's looking back, you can say. Two thousand and I think three automatic started the company behind WordPress. I think Basecamp started a year or two before then. And they were ahead of the curve, right? So we don't really think you have to work in an office or be in the same time zone, right? You can work asynchronously and they may get together. I know WordPress does this once a year with um a gathering, right? They pick a country, Greece, right? And then because there is something to said for that in-person experience, um, based on your research are Companies looking at the progressive you know, 1% or 5% say, okay, what can we learn from them? Because we're still struggling with the blocking and tackling, right? We can't get people to use these tools. We're still struggling with the basics. Whereas these other companies have just got it. I think, was it, um, I don't know if it was GitHub you mentioned before. There was another one with a Git in it. And I think GitHub. they were, that's it. Yeah, I was reading about them researching the new book and they also seem like they just got it. They they wouldn't do the things that you said, which basically replicate a bad process with new tech. It just doesn't make any sense for them. But those are still exceptional, right? And it doesn't hurt that they're tech companies, whereas many companies use tech, but they're not necessarily run by people who understand all the benefits that you and I are discussing and other people ought to know, damn it.
1: (laughs) Well, one of the advantages that those companies have is that they don't have the legacy to deal with. So, if you know you're a Twitter or even a Twitter or a Zoom has this legacy of in-office, and it's good, it's going to be very difficult to turn on a dime it and and go all remote. Um, there also, we also haven't seen uh, scalability yet. I, I know that uh, Darren Murph at uh, GitHub, I always get those two confused, feels very strongly that. You either go all remote or you go all in, because if you create that hybrid model, then you really have three different workplaces. Mm. Um, And the the big difficulty is how do you avoid having a culture of have and have nots? The, The people who are not being seen are not being treated the same. Sure. I think there, are, I think those are things that, that we can work on. I mean, one of the things that just a, a simple little thing is if one person's on a virtual meeting, everybody is so that mm-hmm. there isn't that camaraderie in the room that the person that is virtual is missing. I, you know, I've, I've been on those meetings and everybody go, gets up and go gets a cup of cu- coffee and a donut and I don't have any donuts at home. <laughs> How fair is that? <laughs> we need a yeah. 3d donut maker that sends it to my home. <laughs>
0: Sure. I mean, say what you will about FaceTime. I'm not a huge fan of it. I know that in my consulting days, sometimes I would irritate, irritate people for leaving on time, right? Because the implication was I'm finished with everything. Well, we don't have enough work for you. But there is something to be said for the fact that, you know, you weren't there. We just saw your visage on a screen and you missed those informal interactions. Maybe it's the, you know, the joking around before the meeting, which, as you know, could absolutely impact your perception of the person's performance and ultimately. Uh, increases in pay and promotions and title and all that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I have a client that's uh, a large law firm and they're feeling it particularly in the uh, junior employees where the the lawyer now working at home is t- it, things that he might have walked past a junior employee and said, "Hey, do this." Um he's now doing himself or she. And so they're not getting the experience of working with that Older employee, and this mm-hmm. is happening really. This is one of the other sort of uh, cracks that we're seeing is that the younger employees are having a much harder time with this, really? I, yeah, counterintuitive. Uh, yeah. But every mm-hmm. survey that has come out has shown that the reason is they don't necessarily have the space at home, and we know that a predictor of success is having uh, you know a, an assigned space. Um, they don't. They're not as confident in their role and their understanding of the organization, particularly a very new employee who you was know, onboarding or something. Uh, onboarding has really suffered in this and talk about a, a, something that was broken to begin with. Let's not try to replicate that one. <laughs> hmm. uh, and they miss those subtle conversations and uh, hallway interactions. I talked to a New York times reporter and she said, I, I learned how to interview by sitting in the bullpen and listening to some of the more senior uh, reporters interview people. So there's that, that we really haven't quite figured out how to replicate, Replicate, which is why I feel that that hybrid model is the best approach.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting stuff. I, uh, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to pull it off because we've had some experience with it. And I just think the benefits are too strong to ignore, whether it's, to your point, uh, lower real estate costs or being able to pay in your neck of the woods, right? I mean, if you're a decent employee, you need to make a lot of money to live not only in California, but specifically San Diego. And I know some companies have said, all right, look, you can work wherever, but our headquarters is in San Francisco. You want to move to Iowa, that's okay. You're not going to get San Francisco wages. I still think the employees come out ahead. But there is that psychological impact of I'm making less than I was before, even though gross and net are two different things.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's a good point, and it it's it's becoming a, a real point of contention. Some companies have said, "No, we're never going. You know, we're not going to do uh, location based pay. Everybody gets paid the same." Mm-hmm. And other companies have said, "Yes, we are going to do location. We always have done location based pay." Sure. Uh, and so that may become a differentiator too absolutely yeah our our research uh, shows that a typical employer can save $11,000 per half-time remote worker per year and that's Is the that combination of uh, real estate product, in, uh, reduced real estate costs increased productivity reduced absenteeism which we show to be significant when people are working from home reduced uh, turnover and reduced uh, disaster, or better Disaster preparedness. It figures, you know, if if employees are able to get to work one day that they were not otherwise able to get to work, that's factored into that. And in fact, the U.S. General Accountability Office uh, audited our our model, our calculator, when they were asked by Congress to look for models to quantify the impact of remote work in government. And they described it as comprehensive and thoroughly researched, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, that eleven thousand dollars number is not just something we pulled out of the air. It's based on a great deal of research, and typical employee can save between three and five thousand dollars a year. And for the environment, you know, it's really hard to deny at this point that when we're looking at cleaner air after just a few weeks of remote work that that isn't something that we need to be considering i think there's another factor going on here with uh, esG reporting environmental social and governance reporting okay which is something that's been required in europe uh, for a couple of years uh, in a company's annual report they have to report what their human capital metrics are investors want to know what, what's your turnover rate how are you treating your employees what are your, what's your sustainability? program? What what are your policies, your governance? Um, and when companies are required to actually print that in their annual report, I think that's going to really push the needle on doing the right thing and realizing that those three things are together, that to be sustainable in the broadest terms, we need to be looking at people, planet and profit.
0: I can't say it any better than that. We'll get you out of here on this, Kate what book are you currently reading
1: oh churchill book the splendid and the vile any good it's very good i mean i'm 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 a fan of churchill anyway and to just go back in time and read how it all happened is is absolutely excellent uh, the author is eric larson and he wrote uh, devil in the dark city uh, about the chicago world's fair that it, it was just transformative and then he he thoroughly researches his books such that most of it, the majority of the writing is from actual letters and conversations that were that took place.'
0: I'll have to check it out. Kate, thanks a lot for joining me. You stay safe. Thanks for listening to conversations about collaboration. If you like what you heard and how can you not, please download, like or subscribe. Merci, gracias, obrigado, to the producer of this podcast, podcastedition.com. You guys rock. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at wait for it patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time.